Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up, did you think we were done talking about space? Because we're not. We'll talk with author Lydia Netzer. She's written two books, one about astronomers and the other one about an astronaut. Yes. They're wonderful stories, but they're not overly saccharine, which I always appreciate. We'll talk with Netzer about the idea that books can be sweet and smart at the same time. So I find that I gravitate towards books where there is something beautiful to look at and some idea that is entirely positive. All that plus your nerd confessions, right here on Nerdette. Lydia Netzer has two books, and both of them came out recently. Shine, Shine, Shine is about a woman whose astronaut husband goes to space, which is lovely and good. But How to Tell Toledo from the Night Sky is one that I can't stop recommending to people, which is also kind of a problem because I can't really explain it to people very well either. Try. Try for us. (laughs) So... It's essentially a love story, and it's about fatalism. It's about these two mothers who kind of plot to have kids at the same time and make them be soulmates. That's a little spooky. And it's a little spooky, but it's not fluffy, which I thought was really interesting. So when we talked to Lydia, we asked her what it's like to find that line between nice stories that are also still interesting. Well, I guess that the expectation is that if a book is smart, that it's cynical. And if a book is intellectually stimulating, that it's got to be overwhelmingly dark. And I don't believe that. You know, I like a book that has a central love story. I like there to be characters that you can unabashedly root for and that don't get relentlessly ruined by fate or circumstances. So I find that I gravitate towards books where there is something beautiful to look at and some idea that is entirely positive. So I tried in both my books to make it not necessarily like, well, it has to be positive. When I was pregnant and when my children were very small, everything I wrote, everything had to work out perfectly. (laughs) It's like the world is composed of goodness and magic and no one ever falls over and no one's ever mean to anyone else. Because as a new mom, I was horrified that I had brought children into this decaying world of sin and I was obsessed with everything working out in books. But I think it's a balance. In How to Tell Toledo from the Night Sky, there are characters there who do not get redeemed, who never get to explain, who it doesn't work out for, and that is very hard to deal with as a reader. It's easier if that character is an unmitigated villain, but it's harder if it's more complicated. So my character of Bernice, I really wrestled with different ways to end it where maybe she would get some kind of resolution. 
or maybe she and her daughter would reconcile in some way. Ultimately, I kind of decided sometimes in life you don't get a chance to explain. You don't get that final deathbed scene where everyone says, at last I understand you. Sometimes death just happens and that's it. So having things like that in the book, which I consider that to be some of the blackest material there could ever be, that you die without redemption, alone, and misunderstood, that balances out some of the more fun stuff, which is having an actual love story that involves falling in love. Not a cynical version of it, not a postmodern version of it, but an actual fairy tale version of it where there's love at first sight with bugles and peacocks and nothing that you really ever could fight. I've been thinking a lot about especially how to tell Toledo from the night sky and how to describe it to people. And one of the closest things I can think of is Tom Robbins. And it's not necessarily in the subject matter or necessarily in the characters, but I think it's, I get a similar feeling from reading it. It's affirming and entertaining. Well, I kind of wanted to create a story where there was the superstructure of a tragedy and also a comedy at the same time. So you have these two storylines. There's the mothers who scheme and plan for their children to grow up and be soulmates meet and fall in love and be perfect for each other. And then you have the storyline of the children and what happens to that love story and how does it work? Do they ever find out? Stuff like that. So the story of the mothers is really classically organized as a tragedy. There's a central character, Sally, has a fatal flaw. It ruins her. It ruins everything. And she loses everything at the end. And then the storyline of the children has classical elements of a comedy, mistaken identities, some mask-wearing, dream state, a game state, almost like Shakespeare kind of comedy, like Midsummer Night's Dream or Twelfth Night type of thing, where at the end the masks come off and there's a surrender to love. So working those two things at the same time, I found really fun and challenging as a writer to kind of balance those things out. And also then the ending became very troubling and hard to write because in one storyline, it ends in death and destruction. (laughs) And in the other storyline, it ends in love. Navigating that and trying to marry those two endings was tricky. You know, I'm not altogether sure that I did that perfectly. Oh, I think it worked really well. I think you managed to like conclude it without tying it in a really ridiculous, shiny bow. I thought it was a good, good. combination. <laughs> so I'm reading Shine, Shine, Shine now. I'm actually not quite finished, but I am enjoying it very much as well. Good. And, you know, when you look at these two books next to each other, one automatic question you have is why space? That's sort of a common theme in both of these books. What I'm interested in as a writer are mysteries and frontiers and things that science can't really explain And so I'm interested in the micro science, like quantum physics type of thing. I'm interested in cosmology and places where we don't really know the answer. Like that to me is what's exciting. As a species, we like to be pioneers and we like to be constantly battering down that next barrier to understanding. And once we know something, it just becomes a stepping stone for the next thing we don't know. Space to me just represents that 
in a glorious way that we can all experience every night when we walk outside. Look what we don't know. It's so big. And it's right here. And it's always been here. And just tracking the history from the beginning of time of how people have studied space and where it's overlapped with philosophy and where it's delved into mysticism or hard science. It's religion. It's everything. You know, how they explain the heavenly bodies. You know, back to Aristotle, where the heavenly spheres were these perfect crystalline constructs, and Earth was this decayed, sickened, not-quite-perfect realm. You know, that's philosophy and religion. Now we have the tools to actually figure out what are the paths of the planets. It doesn't have to mean something anymore. But the farther out we go, we're kind of chasing where the mystery still is. And I think that everything about humans that we don't understand fascinates me. And Shine, 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 we talked about the idea of laughter and crying and how we don't really know what laughter is. Why are some things funny? Why does it make our body contract in that way? That is weird to me that we don't understand that. It is weird. very strange. Like, how can we not understand laughing? It's like one of our favorite things to do, and we just have no idea why we do it, and that's fine. We just march around. And I feel the same way in the new book about falling asleep. Ooh, like, yeah. We fall asleep every night. We lie down in our beds. We turn out the light. We pull the blanket up, and we go through a transition that we don't understand, that we can't pin down that we can't do on purpose. We just wait for it to happen, and then at some point it happens. We're not really sure. And then we completely lose our minds for eight hours. (laughs) And we have no idea what's going on in that time. We might recall bits and pieces of it, but who really knows? I mean, you could be dreaming whole lifetime every night, and you just don't know, and you remember a crazy part of it, like a manatee selling lemonade, and you wake up and <laughs> stretch, open the blinds, and you're like, hey, new start to the day, all right. And it doesn't bother you at all that you've just been completely crazy for the last eight hours. That is strange to me. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, I like to say that sleeping is one of my favorite activities. And why is that? <laughs> Maybe there's something to that surrendering control of your mind. That's actually one thing that How to Tell Toledo from the Night Sky got me thinking about is that idea of sleep as death, which was a funny way for me to look at it just because hours of sleep are very important to me. And death is not something that I often embrace as a notion, but I really liked that essence of just sort of letting go. I think there is something to that. I actually started thinking about it. There's a line in Moby Dick, and I can't remember the exact line, but it's basically Ahab's telling the sailors to go to bed. Like, going under the deck of the ship was kind of going into their coffins, down into their graves, and then they would be resurrected in the morning. And that kind of stuck with me. And that line, sleep is a shallow death we practice every night, that line is in the novel because I'm 42. I'm starting to experience people who are important to me dying, older generations in my family, and just in general, you know, death is becoming more real. And I think it's important at this point to understand it as something that is not so terrible. Like, it can't be such a terrible thing if it's happening to people I love and it's going to happen to me. Culturally, we fear it and we make it taboo and stuff. But I got interested in thinking, like, what if dreams are just like the afterlife? If sleep is like dying, which it really is, falling asleep, losing consciousness like that, I don't know what it's like to die, but I'm imagining maybe it's like falling asleep. 
you don't quite note the transition exactly. Just suddenly you're in another state and maybe it's just my fantasy and saying it's just like falling asleep and then you just dream and it's fun and you can fly, you know, (laughs) but... No, I like that about it. I mean, it gives me hope for death in this really nice way. Yeah, yay! (laughs) No, it totally does. It worked. It worked, Lydia. (laughs) To me, it makes sense philosophically to think of it that way. I like thinking about every time we fall asleep, it's practice. So that when we're dying, it's like, oh, I can do this. I know how to do this, this. yeah. I just slip under and then I'm dreaming forever. Yeah, no, I think it's really good. It makes me really happy. (laughs) Still to come, more of our conversation with author Lydia Netzer, right here on Nerdette. Stay with us, nerds. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Trisha and I have really good crossover in our Venn diagrams of things that we're really excited about, but there's also kind of a nice delineation of things where she's really gung-ho and I'm a little more skeptical. And space is one of those things where, like, Trisha is like, I'm on my way. Say the word (laughs) and I'm out there. And for me, I don't know if it's finally being willing to admit to myself that I'm okay with being a homebody or Mm -hmm. just the fact that I'm very easily nauseated. But to me, outer space just doesn't have that inherent appeal to me. Where are you in this Venn diagram? Would you go if you could? No. You wouldn't? Mm-mm. No. I'm surprised you no, didn't say No, I would not, but I would let my children. When I was younger, I would have. Okay. When my husband and I first got married, and we still do this to some extent, but I'm kind of losing my steam a little bit. Our motto or our decision-making strategy was just say yes to everything. If there's something that you could do, do it. You have an opportunity to go scuba diving, get certified, go. You have an opportunity to buy this horse, do it. Get the horse. You know, like, (laughs) and we do the same with parenting. The kid wants to try gymnastics. Well, let's try it. Try to say yes to things to add more to life and then be willing to let things fall away if it doesn't stick. So I think definitely as a 20-something, I would have gone to space. 100% and never even thought about it. Hmm. Now, I probably would not. I would be like, I don't know. Am I going to be able to, you know, have my soup? And what about my cardigans? Can I bring space-friendly cardigans? You know, I probably would flake on it now. I mean, I disappoint myself in that way, but I'm realistically, I would not go. That's interesting. Um, See, I feel like I was disappointed in myself for a while, like I wouldn't have even admitted it. And then finally, it was just like, you know what, Greta, it's okay that you're not super excited about this. Right. That's fine, too. We can admit this about ourselves. You don't have to have a thirst for adventure all the time, you know? No. (laughs) I mean, I think the last time I had a thirst for adventure was probably like 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And how old are your kids? My kids are 10 and 14. Okay, cool. Those are fun ages. 
Yes, it's awesome. One theme that I really find interesting in Shine, 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 and that I feel like I understand to a certain extent, even though I myself am not a mother, is that idea of how much motherhood sort of just changes your inherent identity. Mm -hmm. How did that play out for you? When I got pregnant with my son, I was living in Chicago in the city. I was in graduate school. I was smoking. I was drinking. I was very cool. I was like wearing fishnets and combat boots and cut off. Oh, so it didn't change you at all. You're the same. Yeah, I'm basically just the same. Um, (laughs) And when we decided to get pregnant, I just had this kind of idea that it takes a year. Like it takes a year to get pregnant. (laughs) That I would have time time to make a smooth transition, that there would be some sort of like long on-ramp to motherhood. And it actually took one time trying, and I was pregnant and sick as a dog and basically fundamentally changed completely forever in like the first three weeks. It was dizzying and a very strange time. Mm-hmm. Um, I became convinced that I needed to be able to quilt, and I also tried to start cooking from scratch. I tried to wear pumps. I mean, it was it was ugly. <laughs> but I think I was just like, I can't possibly be a mother. I'm too weird. You know, I'm like this weird writer girl, and I play in a band, and this isn't right. Like, I felt like I had to wipe the board clean and just start over with different glasses, different hair, everything different. And I tried really hard. And we actually did move while I was pregnant here to Virginia, We moved into a historic district, and I was very intimidated by all the other moms. They seemed like they had it together. They understood all the mom culture and what to do with what Tupperware and, (laughs) you know, how to make a balanced snack to send to preschool. (laughs) I was a heavy-duty gamer. I was still trying to play StarCraft for 12 hours at a time, and my husband changed his job. We moved across the country, and I got pregnant, and I left my graduate program all within like two months. Wow. So that transition definitely inspired the book. I came out of it mostly having survived. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's some things that you just really have to change. And you never do want to be the weird mom. You don't want to be so weird that your children are upset. And I still sometimes have those feelings of like, I wish I was more normal. I wish I could do this better. I wish I could make small talk at orchestra rehearsal more effectively and not start talking about black holes. Or, <laughs> But over 15 years now of being pregnant and having my kids, I've come to accept myself much more as a weirdo and nerd. And there are others out there. Everyone's weird. And I mean, that's kind of the point of the book. If you have in your mind this ideal mother that you will never be because you cannot get your twin set to match the leather in your minivan, (laughs) put it aside because that person is not real. That's just a construct that you have in your mind to defeat yourself. A midwife said to me, look, you know why you're perfect for this job? Because you're the one that's here. You're the one that showed up. That's why you are 100% qualified to do this because the baby's currently in your stomach. This is happening. So there's really no one else who can do this except you. Wow. And I was like, all right. Yeah, I did manage to get pregnant, so maybe I can manage to keep it alive until it's 18. And then you went to the powder room and fixed up your face a little and carried on. (laughs) Yeah, and so far. 
far, so good. You know, the children are both still alive. I feel good about my chances now. That's great. That's really good. One thing that I really love about that and about Shine, Shine, Shine is that it really is a celebration of weirdness, which I don't think there is enough of in the world. But one thing I know you've talked about a little bit, too, is that idea that even the ones who seem perfect are totally weird. You just kind of have to find it. Right. You just have to find the crazy. I feel like I figured that out when I moved. I grew up in Alaska and then I moved to Minnesota to go to this private Lutheran liberal arts college. Very white bread, very suburban, Midwestern. And, you know, which is funny because, like, I'm of Norwegian heritage, too. Like, I looked exactly like the rest of them. But I was still just like, you guys are all the same. (laughs) And it took me a while to figure out, no, these guys are all just as weird. It's just this Minnesota suburban version of weird as opposed to, like, really outrageous, loud Alaskan weird that I was used to. And it was really liberating to figure that out because it was sort of like, oh, okay, like, we all are in this weird thing together and we can get through this. And I don't know, it was, it was a big relief for me to figure that out. Yeah. And you also kind of figure out that the ones who seem to be the most normal, the ones who are trying the hardest to be perfect and to not stick out, they are probably the, actually the ones who do have the weird stuff hiding like clown carnival inside the brain. (laughs) Or in the case of Sunny with Shine, 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 hairless freaks, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Lydia Netzer, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. You can find Lydia on Twitter at Lost Cheerio. Check out her books. And if you want a reminder of all the things we think you should be reading, check out our Instagram. We're at Nerd at Podcast on Instagram, and that's where we leave little mini book reviews of the things we're reading. And by we, I mostly mean Greta because she's always, always, always reading. You know, hashtag book nerd. Here we are. Now some homework from Lydia Netzer. There's a book that I will assign as homework completely hypocritically because I have not been able to read it myself. Amazing. But I am told that every nerd should read this book, and it's Girdle Escher Bach. Have you read it? No. Okay. It's written by a mathematician. Girdle is the mathematician. Escher is the artist. And then Bach is the musician. It's about recursive systems and canons and repeating patterns, and supposedly it is the Bible for everyone that programs. All the cutting-edge AI programmers of now read this book back when they were in college. It was written in the 70s. My husband and I both have our own copy. I've read around in it. I don't have the rigorous math brain to really be able to understand it, although a lot of the pieces of it are amazing. But in terms of an activity to assign, I would say definitely try the lucid dreaming. Ooh, cool. Try when you're falling asleep, try to keep your mind awake as your body goes to sleep. Really inhabit, fully awarely inhabit those moments right before you fall asleep or right after you wake up to try and control your dreams. The critical moment is understanding that you're dreaming. And most of the time when you realize you're dreaming, you then immediately fall out of the dream or you wake up or something like that. When you realize you're dreaming, you have to hold on very tight to the dream. If you can get through those first couple of seconds, 
then you can try flying or you can try growing or moving things around or whatever. But that is an activity I think everyone should try. I've been able to do a few times. I was able to fly except for my head, (laughs) which I'm sure has no metaphorical significance whatsoever. No, you're fine. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's something I think everyone should try. That's a really, really good one. That might be my favorite so far, actually. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for Nerd Confessions! Hey Nerdot, this is your intern Patrick, and I was told I had to do a nerd confession for an intern initiation, so my confession is that I love the Power Rangers a lot, and so much so that the only shoes I wanted to wear when I was a kid were light-up Power Ranger shoes. Now, the only problem with this is that They only made light-up Power Ranger shoes in Velcro. And because of this, I didn't learn how to tie my shoes until I was in fifth grade. So basically, I was so dedicated to the Power Rangers and my undying love for them that I didn't learn how to tie my shoes until I was much older. And that's my nerd confession. Thanks. Call us and leave your nerd confession. The number 312-600-5638. Thanks to Lydia Netzer for joining us this week. Find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's where you can sign up for our email newsletter. It's on the left side of the homepage. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. Like us on Facebook. And don't forget that we're on Instagram now, too, giving you mini book reviews. That's at nerdatpodcast on Instagram. Whoop, whoop. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dussault, Patrick Burns, and Iris Lynn. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Our home stations are WBEZ and WCQS. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw some stars and write a review on iTunes if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Eric Morse did on iTunes. We really appreciate all the stars, the retweets, the shares... And there's one other way you can help Nerdette. Yes, if you're a nerd with a business or you work for a business that wants to get your message heard by lots of really great Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.